Welcome to SKUcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SKUcast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SKUcast is the official podcast of Common SKU. Adam Walterscheid is a fourth-generation cotton farmer's son who ended up in a circuitous way in the family business just on the other side of the cotton industry with T-Shirt Tycoon. I had the privilege of visiting the headquarters and factory of T-Shirt Tycoon and was amazed at the incredible efficiency and customization that was being produced at such an astounding speed. Before I sat down to talk with Adam, we toured the factory. And to begin our tour, I stood in the conference room with Adam and his team looking at a large production screen. On the factory floor, Cat5 cables fed information from every printer into their direct machine interface, showing everything that was happening in production. It was an astounding display of how information has helped shape the proficiency of T-Shirt Tycoon. You can hear the hum from production in the background while Adam and Shana explain the numbers. Inside of T-Shirt Tycoon, we have what we call direct machine interface. It's tied into our technology platform. That's our financial platform. That's our scheduling modules. That's how we write up our orders and track everything. And that's how we hold our ISO certification is through this platform. But direct machine interface is where we actually have Cat5 cables that run down to our presses and feed information back up to our floor. So if our press is stopped, we know why it stopped. There's a reason code tied to it and we can find our biggest problem each week eliminate that problem and we get better 52 times a year. It's kind of the Pareto graph, right? You eliminate your biggest problem every week. So one week we may be waiting on inks. So we really drill down on that. So the next week we don't wait on inks. When we're waiting on inks, we may have five people standing around waiting for those inks. So we eliminate that so that we can keep the productions going and we track our uh, billable parts per hour this way. We track uh, how, how many impressions per hour on the presses. And instead of really pistol whipping our employees to work faster and harder, it's more of a competition. They can see what they're doing against their peers yes. per hour on the press, and the, the top performers obviously start the pay scale. So they're really competing against each other, and our managers are just posting the numbers and, and letting them see them. And it's not about, hey, we don't think you're printing fast enough, or Adam you know, Adam thinks that, that, that you're not working as hard as this guy. It's really like, hey, this is, this is really what you're doing. These are the reason codes you put in. These are the results we're getting. And while there's a ton of great stuff going on, we tend to drill down on the one thing we need to eliminate the next week. And we have certain KPIs in those meetings that we watch. Um, Shana does the reporting for T-Shirt Tycoon inside of that meeting, and it's really a global meeting amongst the the managers of marking systems and the managers of T-Shirt Tycoon's production, and they're both managed on the same platform, analyzed differently because there's different manufacturing processes going on, 18 different manufacturing departments, right? So these are the graphs that we look at. And so you can see up here that we had 123% score. So we beat our, our goal by 23%. And Shay, I'll let you kind of break down kind of exactly what we're looking at here. So basically what we look at is a breakdown of three phases on the press, which is make readies, which is our prep time, getting ready for the job, setting it up, run time, which is the green, and then stop time, which is the red. Right now, what you're looking at is that we stayed at 123% of our uptime was spent in green, which is what we want. So each one of these graphs breaks down our presses by the main operator and gives you an idea of exactly 
what their what their speed was, what the breakdown was of their run, make ready, and stop, in addition to um, the, our actual throughput and our run speed. So we're also measuring whether how many good parts that we get every time we run a job. Um, we've got targets set here. You'll see that 350 was the goal, and we hit 452. So not only were we efficient in in make ready time, we're also extremely efficient in run time. Every time that we do have to stop, though, because stops have to happen on the press sometimes, uh, we go through, we collect reason codes, and then we can go back and say, hey, this is exactly what caused us to have to slow down and maybe not get to exactly where we wanted to be, and we can drill down, spend some time on what the problem was, and then go back and really address the issue so that we don't have that problem the next time. As a printer, it's a moving bottleneck. It could be waiting on T-shirts. It could be waiting on shirts to land, shirts to be counted. It right, could be yeah. ink showing up, waiting on screens. So... Basically, what we do is we use that data to make sure that everything comes together at one time and we can get in and off that job as quickly as possible. Being domestic means we have to work on small quantities and quick turns. Yeah. So we're not wanting huge orders. We, we like small orders, orders we can get in and out of, someone doesn't have to take a huge inventory position in. And so we use this data to tell us, okay, what's the right type of job? Where do we put our best prices and where do we incentivize our customers to give us the right type of jobs? Right now, our median is about a, about 244 to 288 units is is our is a great job for us. Mm-hmm. That's a job that's big enough yeah. uh, for us to set up and run and give a great price, and it's also a job small enough that you don't have to take a huge inventory and uh, a position of an inventory, right? So, most of our jobs will pub 144 is our price because that's a quantity that's more of an everyday. But then the quantity breaks drive people up, and we can show them why we can be more efficient at 244, 288 than 144. Right, right. And in an all-in-business model, there's no ancillary costs, so everything's rolled into the number of T-shirts that we're working on. So that 144, 288 is our sweet spot, and the data that we pull off our floor with this direct machine interface tells us that. And it also tells us how to continually be more efficient you know, as we, as we chase our bottlenecks. Before we get into the interview with Adam, I had to share one more clip from the factory floor. One aspect of their manufacturing I was fascinated by was their private label solution. And as we stood watching these labels being made, Adam and I discussed how crucial private labeling is for a distributor and how a simple t-shirt can be a reflection of culture. These three presses keep up with these presses in labeling. If they were to bottleneck, we'd get ahead, we'd print first, and then we'd bring it here and finish last here, um, and vice versa. But the flow is set up where it goes from receiving to labeling. So the only cost to our private label, there is no, we do not charge to run and put this in your garment, it's included. The only cost is this one-time plate charge. So once you buy this one time for the life of your program, you have no run charge tied to it. So there's no cost to the label of your client going in. Now you can truly go in with no barrier of entry other than a one-time setup charge and if this, you truly have this client, $145 amortizes over their annual spend on t-shirts, yeah. very, very easy. I'd absorb it and not even worry about it. You know, and so, um, so really this is it. We, we, we laser etch these here. We make all the designs. We provide 10 templates for you to have this conversation against. And this is where the, your client's brand DNA goes, is inside the neck. Yeah. Right now the industry focuses on just, hey, what's printed on the outside? And let's not worry about what's on the inside, but today's consumer, is more worried about what's on the inside. Let's make what's on the outside a little bit more minimalistic and let's make it wearable. Let's make it look lifestyle. And so corporate markets, I see that trend happening more and more. Um, 
And so our system in private label, having a low barrier of entry in a one-time setup and a plate charge with no run rate tied to that label going in your garment, was a very important barrier, first step of cost. Uh, it's hard for me to talk people into paying an extra 50 cents for a private label. It's not hard to talk them in why it's relevant when there's no cost associated with it. Um, and so instead of charging for it like everybody else does, we don't. We make that be our competitive advantage. So the private label is, is the hub to our business model, right? Yeah. It's the hub and, and all, the, all the things that we do are the spokes that connect the wheel, but the hub is private label. And so low barrier of entry was real important for us. What that does to empower them to identify and distinguish their own brand in the marketplace, um, I mean, it'll only take once where you get some other, some big order from some shirt because you printed your own creative I mean, there's design a couple, inside there, that, you know, and, and you'll realize, oh, wow, because there's a lot of distributors that still don't do this. Well, and, and there's a couple perspectives to it. You know, I, I completely agree with what you just said, and I'll even add to it and say, well, every time you put out a garment that doesn't have your client's label in it, you're putting out your own product to bid because yeah. any distributor knows exactly where to get that garment, right. exactly what it costs, right. what, what's in inventory, where to get it, and to get it fast. And so essentially, you're just trading orders with each other right. Right. without private labeling. But when I private label, even a Gildan 5000, first of all, it doesn't have the same value as it's saying Ford in it. Right. So the perception is, is different than yeah. them getting a, a, a third party or cook branded t-shirt that really doesn't say it was made by the brand that gave it to them. It just yeah. says a print on the outside. Um, you know, so private label on that side, you know, putting your business out to bid, but even giving them a, a brand DNA private label experience. That's the other thing that I think is, is really important to going and getting new clients yeah. and evolving existing clients yeah. is going in different, breaking your routine of, I always tell a distributor, take your routine in, take, take that guild in with the plastic print in and show them what that is. That's a souvenir. Yeah. Right. Take one in with their name that says prototype in, in the neck and give them a soft hand print and say, this is a lifestyle tee and, and explain the return on investment difference. Let them make a good business decision. It's not a hard decision to, to pay a little bit more and get a whole lot more. Yeah. I would rather have a walking billboard handpicked out of the closet 20 times with my company's name on it than a souvenir tee smashed down in a, in a drawer that never comes out. And if it does, I wear it around the house, friends and family. Right, right. Right, so, yeah. Yeah. so that's our tier two product that we're trying to offer. You know, that emotional connection to, hey, I actually, I'm proud to work at, the, at this place and wear the shirt out on That's a right. Saturday when, yeah. I'm, when I'm hanging out with my kids. Yeah. We just recorded a, a, a podcast, Mark and I, over, over um, the progressive distributors. And one of the things that we kind of realized, and you already know this because you're at the tip of the spear when it comes to fashion forward merchandising and what's going on in the consumer market, and you're tying that to what's going on in corporate markets. But we are seeing this trend, and I've seen more and more demand for fashion forward trends in the past several years than I've seen cumulatively before and that's because typically either that's the millennial surge where they're bringing in the taste that they have outside to bear upon their corporate purchases they may work for a boring brand but they have personal taste they want to bring into that purchasing relationship and the other thing that I suggest is that the respectability of swags actually increased dramatically it, uh, dramatically and so what you have you're no longer printing you're printing like you said, no, no longer souvenirs, but people are proud to identify with the brands they work for because culture has become so huge in corporate right, environments. 
And so this uh, romance that we need to tie into, you know, this firing up the imagination to present this in a different way with different language, it helps capture that buyer's heart. Or just knowing behind the scenes that's what's going on, you know, subconsciously or psychologically, it's huge. You can tell the culture of a company based on the wearable they give their employees. Damn right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If, if it looks like something that, that you used to get 10 years ago, yeah. you can kind of tell you that company's probably not up with the times. They're not really thinking about their employees. I can walk into a, a small company and see all of them dressed comfortably in a branded company t-shirt and know that culture is just fine. They're, they're going to wear that thing uh, on the weekends. They're, they're proud to work there. They're part of the, the, the DNA of what's going on. They're fingerprints all over the business. And, um, and we're trying to find, find distributors that are trying to help be culture builders for their clients. And, and this wearable is a culture builder. There is no doubt A strategic thinker with an economics background, Adam and I sit down to discuss multiple topics, including his journey, beginning with Greek printing to contract printing to t-shirt tycoon. We chat about the state of the industry, manufacturing in the U.S., the impact of Amazon on the market, and the future of customized apparel. This episode is brought to you by CommonSkew, the effortless business management platform that powers you to process more orders and grow your business. To learn more or to start your free trial, visit commonskew.com. And now... My conversation with Adam Walterscheid of T-Shirt Tycoon. Last month I was in Columbus, Ohio, and I was working with a distributor there that we were onboarding. And, you know, we want to be very deliberate and, and we want to be very serious about what we're doing, but we want to have fun doing it. So going there and meeting the team and, and wearing yeah. my, you know, wearing my cowboy boots and putting on my Texas, my Texas accent. <laughs> you turned it and, up, huh? Yeah, I had to a little bit to get some <laughs> attention, right? But But going in there and really helping them understand what is private label as a strategy? Yeah. How would you yeah. use it in your everyday sales approach to solve your problems for your clients? Yeah. yeah. And then, and then teeing them up to be able to know how to deal with my inside teams on how to start projects easily and naturally, and then how to marry up those projects with samples that flow out quickly and efficiently and just streamlining the process. That's what I'm working on a hundred percent of the time. And it's yeah. either in, in, in an individual relationship or, or project or, or it's streamlining the process through tools. And that's what's on my desk almost all the time. Yeah, cool. I think listeners would be a little, really curious about your story. Yeah, I mean, I'm connected to this widget very uniquely in the sense that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fourth generation cotton farmer's son, right? So yeah. my, I grew up in the house my dad grew up in on the same cotton farm that he grew up on. And this is um, in New Mexico. And this is in New Mexico. I've recently moved my family back to that same town where I could raise them in the same. What town was it? Uh, Carlsbad, New Carlsbad, Mexico. Carlsbad, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and so I come back and forth to this facility um, every other week and travel out up, uh, amongst our clients um, yeah. in between all of that. But I'm I'm there in Carlsbad in my in my in my grassroots every other week at least, and it's where I've chosen to raise my family and and. My grandparents were, were an important part of my life. I want my, my kids to have their grandparents in their life. But ultimately, I wanted to give them the same, the same upbringing that I had, which was hardworking, look somebody in the eye, put in a hard day's work, learn the family business, learn business, be in the business conversations. And yeah. that's, that's where I come from, from a cotton farmer side. And as so a I kid, grew up, As a kid, did you, uh, how, how much of that work did you do? A lot. Um, you know, growing up on the farm, you walk out in your backyard and you're, you're inside of where you work. Right. So if so you, you build, you build cotton and you did everything. Huh? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I helped, we have two crops. We have alfalfa and cotton. I helped, uh, I helped harvest cotton. I helped plant cotton. I helped, uh, 
clean the fields. I helped water the cotton. Uh, I've helped take it to the gin. Um, and so that's all I knew for the first, you know, 17 years of my life. And, and I was blessed enough to get a, a scholarship out of high school to be a place kicker and punter at uh, Southern Methodist University in Dallas. And that kind of got me off the farm. And I was uh, really the first in my family to not go to a vocational school and come back to the farm. So I'm the first male in my family not to actually farm that farm. And when I left for, for SMU, um, knowing that it's a private school and it's a higher education school, you know, they, I, I was preparing myself to be a professional, not necessarily a professional football player, but a professional uh, at something. I just knew it wasn't going to be in cotton farming because right. it was just a, it's a, it's a very, it's a very labor intensive um, job. And it yeah. was something that, you know, as a 17 year old kid, I wasn't as interested in, but I knew I wanted to be in business and my dad had instilled that in me. And so essentially when I went to SMU, I just saw this land of milk and honey in, in the Texas economy, uh, an affluent area, and in a higher education school, I studied economics. So I have a pretty good understanding of what's going on in the economy and how it works. And ultimately, you know, t-shirts was the widget that just kind of fell in place for me. I managed stores on campus for one of the alumni that, uh, of, of the university and uh, got into fraternity sorority shirts, built a, built a nice business and just fraternity sorority shirts for the first few years when I founded Pony Express Printing out of college. There are quite a few that have that story of getting started in fraternity right. sorority shirts, yeah. Yeah, and so um, we all figure out about three years down that road that it's a very cyclical business. Yeah. The decision makers turn over very fast. Yeah. And you lose a lot of that business and to get it back is very rigorous. And so I, my wife at the time was working in promotions for a distributor here in town and she was working on some larger accounts and really liked the business. And I started to see how many t-shirts they were really selling and yeah. began to talk to the owner that she worked for and, and gain that business. And I got introduced to this God awful thing called contract printing. <laughs> and uh, so I went from Greek printing to contract printing, complete opposite end, one in high margins, one in low margins. And right. I built this unbelievable, you know, print business on contract printing. And I, I figured out over time that it wasn't, uh, I wasn't that far off of the formula, but, but I needed to restart. And so I had an opportunity to sell that business and I took it down to one of the bankers at, that I know at SMU. And I said, uh, said, man, uh, I don't know if this deal's good or bad for me. What should I do? He said, well, do you play poker? I said, yeah. He goes, are you any good? I said, I'm okay. And he goes, well, today you're real good. You need to cash these chips out. You have a non-compete. Go get yourself a good night's sleep. Figure out what you're going to sharpen in your game plan and come back and take it again next time. And in the meantime, I want to introduce you to these two guys that print. They don't print T-shirts, but they're always looking to diversify their business. I want to introduce you to them, and we'll see where it goes. And those two gentlemen are my business partner today. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and so I accepted that deal, and I sat my non-compete, and I really just worked on my game plan. I worked on the staff that I was going to hire. I worked on each one of these employees are literally hand-picked um, and, and, and taught and built into the culture. And so really... You know, most of them have not been a distributor. They don't know what it's like to be a distributor. Right. So them, that's why SKUCon and these relationships are so important because that's where they learn about yeah, distributors true. at those events. True. That's where they learn about this industry. And where where else could you learn so much stuff in one day than than, than a SKUCon? Right. You know, where you go in and right. you've just got this culmination of folks. 
And so what I've tried to do is instill the same attributes that, that I was raised on and that my partners believe in, which is just, you know, working hard, uh, do the right thing. Yeah. Um, don't try to be everything to everybody. Be yeah. very focused at what you do. Don't be afraid to reinvent yourself. You know, yeah. don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Take a few risks, but make sure they're well calculated and good things will happen. And all good things come from profits. If you're not profitable, you can't run an organization like this. Yeah. And sometimes profits are a bad word, but but in this building, they're not. They're a good word. And, and I think the, the distributors I'm working with, are all generally happy that I'm able to make a profit. And I think they're, they're happy to and yeah. feel good about the product that we put on their table, yeah. what it's worth and what it brings to their client. And ultimately, I would just say that I love what I do. Yeah. Um, this is one of the most creative places I could have landed. It gives me the ability to be me and how I work, and then it allows me to attract the right people around me that help deliver the product in a way that a distributor would appreciate and be willing to pay a little bit more to get a lot more. Yeah. Next so. big season for T-Shirt Tycoons is really just more of the same with your brand code. Get the traction out there. Are there other big ideas you got percolating that you even yeah, feel you know, like talking about? As we go about and we build um, Yorko, really everything spins from that. But yeah, I mean, we, we've had talks of franchising Yorko mm-hmm. outside of these corporate markets simply because I think this is a business that people would want to do. Uh, outside of being an ASI distributor yeah, or, or bringing folks into being a distributor that, that have been successful in a, in a, in a first career that, that yeah. need something like this that's easy. They can run from their house. They can yeah. put it in their car. They can go sell to their, to, to their friends that made them successful the first go round. So we've had those talks. We're throwing that stuff around. But really, it's just staying on the innovative path. I think leading in the print technique side of things is really where our fingerprint's at in this industry. Yeah. I think continuing to broaden the wearables that I can deliver, yeah. that folks utilize every day and be broader. And I want to climb the price ladder with folks. Yeah. I don't want to just be t-shirts. Right. I'd like to be outerwear. I'd like to be polos. Right. Um, quarter zips. I'd like to be in some of these other categories. And so, you know, again, whether it's your co or it's collab. Um, that gives us the ability to, to put a system out that, that we could plug that product into and then go find a supplier that we can partner with to deliver that type of category. And, uh, and that's where we're headed. I mean, we're, we're just looking to get deeper with our clients. We're not out trying to get a lot of clients. Yeah. We want a few good clients every client. year, and we yeah. just want to get deeper with the ones we're working with. Yeah. Your economics background, it seems as though every, everywhere I turn, the industry, we, Mark and I were just at PPAI headquarters yesterday. They, they talked about a report that they delivered to the industry as far as the state of the economy, as it seems from our vantage point. How do you feel about the economy and business right now? Honestly, I couldn't say enough good things yeah. about it. Um, I think that it's very apparent that the economy is doing well. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is one of the first times that equilibrium has happened in employment number of jobs that are open are yeah. equal to the number of people unemployed. Yeah. Unprecedented yeah. in our economy. Wow. Um, I think that USA manufacturing uh, as a term and, and as, as, as a topic has never been bigger. I feel really good about where T-Shirt Tycoon is at in, in, in positioning as far as being a domestic supply chain yeah. and being able to deliver and being positioned economically to survive uh, and, and be teed up for that. Yeah. Um, you know, the housing market is, is, is off the chain. So, you know, that's going well, especially in Dallas, especially in Dallas. And then, you know, you're seeing, you know, you're seeing places like Texas just thrive. Ab- yeah. Abundance of labor. 
right. low cost of living, uh, a really great place to do business. Yeah, it is. Great and place to do and business. not just that, but I love being in a state that's so high in pride that, that they'll do business with a Texan just because they're Texan. Um, <laughs> we, the market is, you know, Mark coming from Canada, we pulled up in front of Numo Manufacturing this week and uh, outside is this gargantuous Texas flag. There's not an American flag to be seen in sight. And Mark said, is that normal that they fly? I said, buddy, you're in Texas. <laughs> That's right. But we didn't all, we weren't all born here, but we got here as fast as we could. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. So, you know, I grew up on the border of Texas. And so I always grew yeah. up a wannabe Texan uh, right. a little bit. I'm yeah. very proud of my New Mexico culture. I've clearly yeah, sure. moved, moved back, but I consider myself half Texan at this point. I've yeah. lived here for 20 in, in, in New Mexico for 17. So yeah. I've got a little bit of catching up to do in New Mexico. Yeah. Well, I'm the same way with Texas and Oklahoma. And you and I have, sh- have literally shared the same soil from the standpoint of where I was at in Amarillo is the same right. kind of same corridor. you grew up in. Yeah. Allsup's burritos are there too, right? Uh, can't beat them. Can't beat them. I'm back in Allsup's heaven down there. <laughs> when I really get hungry, I just drive by and get me a chimichanga. Yeah. I have to explain to <laughs> listeners. So we joke about this, Adam and I, when we see each other, but Allsup's burrito is basically Basically, a fried burrito. That's right, and it's righteous. It is. You can't eat a lot of them. No, uh, your, your your belt your belt size won't <laughs> right. won't stand it. Right. But when it you do hurt, get yeah. your lips on one, yeah. you'll you'll know what it is. You'll never forget it. Yeah. Um. And and you might come for a second one. Right. Right. As long as you don't tell your wife. That's right. <laughs> you know, as far as the economy goes, I would just tell you that I think it's an unbelievable opportunity we have in business. For yeah. the next probably eight to ten years, you know, as as this president has made economics more important in his decision making than the previous president, you know, it was more about uh, doing the doing what they felt was the right thing, and now it's more about doing the right thing for the for the United States economy wise. And there's going to be some economic impact on on NAFTA and some other things that are going to cause some tariffs of product flowing in, and I know that's a that's a key topic. Yeah. But I also think that we're, we're leaving out of a technology age and back into a technology information age that's based on the efficiencies of manufacturing in the United States now. Yeah. You know, there are such things called SOBOTs now, automatic robots that cut and sew. You know, and if you look at a wearable, it's one of the most custom products out there. And it's, it's like a fingerprint. There's no one T-shirt made equally to the next. Yeah. They, they all, the stitch tension's different, the fabric's different. Right. And so to be able to automate that process is unprecedented. Yeah. And, and yeah. you can only buy these machines in the United States. You cannot buy them elsewhere. Yeah. And you're finding Chinese companies buy them and put them inside of U.S. facilities and start and starting to manufacture here stateside as well. So not even they're importing their own product anymore. Wow. Now they're making product here in the United States yeah. and they're leveraging United States technology to do so. State of the industry and the changes that are going on within the business. You know, you've had a rise in buying groups. You've had more consolidation going on on the distributor side mm-hmm. than, than we've seen. And certainly supplier side acquisitions and, and consolidation has been going on for some time. You're with your economics hat on, you've got a good handle on the pulse of the business. You know the distributor client extremely well. How do you feel about the future of the industry itself and any thoughts on where we're at in the state of things? Yeah, I mean, I, I keep a very close eye on, on, on Amazon, on Walmart, on Foreign Print, and, yeah. and these larger platforms digitally and what are they going to continue to do to disrupt our industry? And ultimately, what I would say is, is that that is my drive. That You asked me earlier, you know, what is it that drives you? And, and it's the evolution of this business. The, the more I pay attention to it, the faster I see it evolving. Yeah. Um, and it's evolving at a retail level. 
as fast as it's revol- evolving at a promotional level. Yeah. And when I look at the two parallel, they're actually very similar in their bell, in their bell curve. You know, they're, huh. they're both at a mature level and they're both consolidating very rapidly. Yeah. And so that's why collab exists. How do we get stronger? We get stronger together. Yeah. And you have to continue to push the note. And, and when a market's consolidating, you have to make sure that you're on the right side of that consolidation. Yeah. And you have to be conscious of that consolidation. I can see why collabs would be a, a tool, a, like a, a weapon, if you will, to fight against that. People don't know this, but Amazon is a full private label company. Did you know that? No. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what they're in the business of is private label. They, yeah. they look like a technology company because right. they are. They own their own platform. Right. But did you know they launched 22 apparel brands less than six months ago, going specifically right after Nike, wow. who, by the way, they sold $88 million worth of Nike in their first quarter of, of, of selling their product. But while they were doing it, they were gaining all the information of that Nike buyer, their buying habits, their sizes, their right. colors, everything they needed to know to the point that they launched their own brands at cheaper price points than Nike going after the same consumer. Wow. And so Amazon is building its its market share on everybody else's customers' information. And then the minute that that category gets big enough, they go right after the supply chain that's making it and they eliminate that brand and they put theirs in. Wow. And they're doing that across pretty much every product category you could imagine. Yeah. And so I look at something like that with Amazon and I go, gosh, how does that change our industry? Our industry is going to be put on Amazon. And there's going to be a certain number of folks that buy directly from Amazon right. through it. But there's a, a, a huge number of folks that are going to want to buy through a distributor that's mm-hmm. going to want a relationship. And yeah. I think sticking with folks that are relationship-minded, that I can put my supply chain resources around yeah. to make them relevant and let them leverage the relationships that they've spent so much time building mm-hmm. is how I stay healthy in this business. Yeah. And not be so much worried about Amazon, but be conscious of them. You won't see my product ever go on Amazon. I would not want them to have any data around what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And I would be conscious to distributors and other manufacturers to tell them the same thing. There's a podcast that I listen to outside of this industry. It's called Private Label Movement. Hmm. And Kevin Reiser runs that. He's here in Texas. And it's only about Amazon. So think about it. That's a very broad topic, private label movement. Right. But the whole movement is based on private label on Amazon. Wow. And when folks don't know what, what private label is in our business, or when we're in a branded business, but private label is riddled through Amazon, that's why I'm so excited to bring private label as a category to our industry because yeah. it's so relevant, yeah. but yet so underappreciated. Yeah, yeah for sure. Like, yeah, yeah. If I was on a phone call with someone and they innocently called me and said, hey, man, my friend, and this happens all the time. Yeah. Hey, my distributor friend or supplier friend told me you could help me. But what what is T-shirt tycoon? Yeah, um, I say T-shirt tycoon is a domestic, private label clothing supply chain. We're building a network of strategic distributors that distribute our product through our distributor sales tool we call Yorco. What makes us different is that we're a domestic supply chain. We work on small quantities, quick turns with really high customization made from stock or made to order. We work in a single PO solution so you can deal with one project designer or one project uh, manager and go design to ship through that. It should make your process easy and clean. We deal on a full package, meaning we handle all the wearables, all the rejects, all that good stuff. When you order 151 t-shirts from us, you should get 151 and that will make your, your process easier. 
We deliver promo and resale strategies in what we do. Promo and resale strategies, the market really doesn't know much about either. I'm always shocked when a distributor brings in a product that's going to be built to be resold, but hasn't done the math in understanding how many hands are in the pot yeah. and how all that streamlines down, right, right? Right, right. So we use promo and resale strategies to help carve those out and really define that. We give you dedicated project management uh, and manager, and then we give you a product guarantee where we literally will guarantee the best product for the price when you work with us yeah. while holding brand integrity. And so those are the things that makes us different than all the other suppliers out there. And really, I think that's the cleanest, easiest way that I've been able to communicate it to yeah. folks where I hit enough high points where they go, okay, so how do we engage? Right. And I send them over a clean mutual NDA that protects our conversations together and what we learn about each other. Yeah. And we walk right into a project together and awesome. try to get about 10 of those on the table Yeah. and then really have a, a, an evaluation together of what, what were the results and yeah, it's good. And how do we how do we move forward? From yeah. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Skewcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to Skewcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.